Welcome back to the Let's Get Ready podcast. I'm your host, Marissa Spagnoli, and today we're getting ready with the founder of Rose and Skincare, Jamika Martin. Welcome to Let's Get Ready. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Um, like I already said, I'm so excited to talk to you because I feel like I've never met someone who doesn't gatekeep as much as you do. And that goes with like everything about your business and your brand. And I'm really excited to talk to you. So, um, thank you. Yeah. So let's get into the Rosen products that we're using, why we love them. And then we'll get into it. Great. Okay. So we start with the cleanser. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Okay. So we'll do that now and then we'll do the mask, but the earth cleanser, can you kind of just like tell us about it? Cause it's one of your favorite products and now mine. Yes. Yeah. Earth cleanser, um, for sure. Probably my favorite product. I feel like it's one of the products that I feel like if it was gone, like I just couldn't replicate it yeah. <laughs> on the market. Um, I, I made the earth cleanser because I, so I have very acne prone skin. That's kind of like the impetus of our line um, is innovating the drugstore acne space. Mm-hmm. And so one of the big things that if you are a drugstore acne shopper is the, the benzoyl peroxide wash for acne prone skin. And so um, I started this cleanser, I started developing this cleanser to try to get something that was less drying, less stripping but was going to help with acne prone skin. Zinc is like a favorite ingredient of mine um, when it comes to fighting acne causing bacteria without stripping the skin dry. So yes, my favorite wash by far, because I am a very traditionally acne prone girl, but um, yeah, I love it. I'm glad you're loving it too. Oh, it's amazing. And um, like you said, if you ever like lost it or you didn't have it, you couldn't replicate it. And I've never ever used a cleanser like this. It feels like a clay mask. Like, could you use it as a clay mask? I'm wondering or not. Um, so you can leave it sometimes in the shower. I will leave it on for like a, an additional kind of like 15 minutes and let it dry down. Um, we do have an earth mask, which is like a very similar formulation, but there's like a little bit um, different kind of like functions in there. Obviously no soap or things like that. Um, but I do like if I'm kind of like in a rush and don't want to put on an entire mask, I'll use this like for like let it dry down for a little bit. Yeah. No, because I like I said to you, I felt so clean. I've never felt so clean with the cleanser. And I just briefly just went over my skin and I'm like, oh, I just feel like I it's like I brush my teeth, but on my face, if that even <laughs> makes sense, because that's how I feel. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Was this one of your first products that you launched? Because it's your favorite, or no. was this did this come later? It came later. It came later. I actually launched a super smoothie cleanser before this one. Okay. Um, so this one came later. My first, um, two of my first products, one is our, our Rose Mist, and then two is this mask that I'm about to use. Okay. The Tealing Lead Mask um, was like one product that I started with. Um, but yeah, Earth Cleanser is still, still tried and true. Super smoothie cleanser is like a fan favorite, but... I'm going to ride for Earth Cleanser like forever. <laughs> yeah, I'm also going to ride for Earth Cleanser because it's, <laughs> it's underrated and amazing. And then, okay, the mask. Are we doing that next? Okay. And yes, then yeah, what yeah. one are you using? Start, so I have tingling over here. I know you have smooth jelly. Yeah. Um, But I did smooth jelly last night. And because it's exfoliating, I do not want to exfoliate. So that's why I'm going with tingling. Yes. No, I'm glad I didn't use it because yesterday I was using the cleanser and I was like, oh, maybe I'll do a mask. And then I, I read it. I was like, let me not so I can actually <laughs> do a mask on yeah. tomorrow. Ooh. And okay, so this one's a little sparkly. Can you kind of tell me why it's sparkly? Because I that was the first thing that made me look and I was like, oh, it's it's a pretty mask. Yes, it's so pretty. Um, well, one, 
that was just like a creative direction that we wanted to take because we wanted to look cute. I lo- um, okay, love that. Yeah, I I love that mask. We actually added um, some stuff into our body products to have a similar effect, just because it's so pretty. Um, but yeah, smooth jelly mask is like an exfoliating mask. Um, so I like to use it for me once or twice a week. Um, it really helps with like smoothing skin texture. Um, obviously like if you have dark spots or things like that, it helps with kind of helping to fade those a little bit quicker. Um, it is, yeah, my favorite mask for especially dark spots because I deal with hyperpigmentation. Um, and I like to think of it as like a less severe, like how the ordinary red mask was kind of like very popular, but it's obviously a little bit tricky to use. Yeah. I like to think of it as like a less severe version of that. Okay. So it's like not as not as strong, not as aesthetic, um, and not as sensitizing. Yes. No, I agree. This it already feels so good on my skin, I can feel it kind of working. Um so while we let this kind of sit, what, can I just know your background in beauty? Like you're so educated on your products and ingredients and using different things for, to target different problems. Did you always want to do this or did this just come about? I did not. Um, and thank you. I'm glad. I, I've spent a lot of time researching um, a lot of ingredients and a lot of formulas and things like that, which is just like something I'm so passionate about at this point. The other day I was like researching vitiligo and like how it works and I'm just like going down a rabbit hole so I saw something on uh online but I um I have actually kind of like a business background so my major is in business economics um and then I took some entrepreneurship courses when I was in undergrad and, and did some um kind of like extracurriculars around that. Um, and so that's where a lot of my experience comes in. But then I obviously I've dealt with acne prone skin for most of my life. So I started breaking out like sixth grade. So that's when I started to become very, very familiar with like the traditional benzoyl peroxide, salicylic acid, um, you know, like the antibiotics, so like spironolactone, birth control, acutane, like all the things that a derm is going to tell you to take for acne like I did. Yeah. And so I got super familiar with all of those. And then when I went out to start Rosen, I started researching kind of like some of these less traditional ingredients a lot more. So looking into um, the zincs or the tea trees or, or some of these like cleaner ingredients that also have a ton of studies about like being great for acne prone skin. And so just like researching that and then how acne is formed and, and all of these things. And like I said, kind of getting into a rabbit hole around it. And so now it's like, very fun and exciting for me, especially because I can develop formulas that feel a little bit more innovative just based on where I pull my research from. Yeah, no, I love, I love how you go down rabbit holes. Cause that's kind of how I started with skincare. I just, you just dive right in and then the things that you learn and about ingredients and stuff is just, it's so interesting. And you were saying you formulate your products, like you're the yeah, one, yeah, yeah. can you kind of tell us about how you go about that? Just from yeah. like, just having no experience from beauty and then going right into formulating a product is so Yeah. So early on, um, obviously it was like a much more novice <laughs> formulator and I've learned a lot since then, but I like to equate formulating to baking. Um, it feels very similar to me and like, there's a lot of exacts. And so like, if you use a tablespoon of baking powder versus a teaspoon, like that makes a big difference, right? And so it's like, it's very similar with formulating around like temperatures and percentages, and like the phases in which you add stuff. And not that I was like an avid baker, but I did like to bake. And so I think I saw a lot of synergies there around making products. And so there's a lot of um, kind of like sites or, or website or resources, I should say, that have formulas that are kind of like templated formulas, almost like a recipe for like a cake. And so it's like, oh, this like, 
moisturizing cream. And then, so it's like learning how to make a cream, learning how to go through those processes and learning the functions of each ingredient um, in the same way that you could maybe replace butter with oil, you know, but you don't replace butter with like sugar. Right. And so it's yeah. like, you learn the functions of like a hydrosol versus a preservative versus an emulsifier and like plugging and playing there. And so it was a lot of trial and error and testing out. Um, but ultimately I early on didn't have the capital to like pay for somebody to develop formulas. So I had to learn myself. Um, and so it was like learning myself. And then once I did learn, it was kind of like, Oh, well I have so much more creative agency on these products um, that we would take them. Like when we started going with manufacturers and they would like, kind of be like, I don't understand how this is stable or I don't understand how this works. And it's like, I would have to like explain it to them or like show them the lab results, which was cool just because, they come from such a traditional formula, like cosmetic background where it's like, Hey, these are like the ingredients that we use. And so it's like, Oh, fruit powders and a cleanser. Like I've never heard of that, you know? So it's been a cool experience and something I'm very grateful for. Um, and I, I think it's like a still able to flex that creative muscle today is like beneficial. Yeah. Okay. So I'm so glad that you just went off and said all of that because I had a question for you and I got rid of it, but I'm going to ask now, I was going to say like, since you are in Target, you're in these bigger retailers. Why do you think that these legacy brands don't do what you do? A lot of the people that I've interviewed, they have people who formulate the product and they work together. So it's so interesting that you went to them and said, no, this is what we're going to do. This is how we do it. Or this is how we're going to do it. And I was kind of asking like, why do you think smaller brands like you do this? And then brands that do have this capital don't, is basically what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. I think... Two things. Um, one, in the acne space specifically, there are the ingredients that we use and the processes that we take for formula development. We do have to be careful about verbiage. So um, I cannot say, well, nothing cures acne, but there's certain claims that you can say around treating acne, um, certain improvement claims that you can make if you have an FDA label or, and, and you go through that process with like a 2% salicylic acid, right? And you kind of go to the FDA for that. So there's that. Like traditional brands, um, obviously, you know, they kind of go through that process and they make very strong claims on their packaging because legally they can. Whereas we are more in the cosmetic space. Any cosmetics, really, if you're not like, if you don't have that drug label, you can say like, you know, for people with hyperpigmentation or things like that, but there's certain like strict claims you can't make. Um, so there's that. And then I think the other piece, which is a big, I think, indicator of just like the product industry as a whole and why we see so many brands get acquired or other brands buy them out is once companies or these conglomerates reach a certain size, innovation is just so slow. It goes through so many approval processes. It takes forever to get anything green lighted or pushed through, which is why I think sometimes you'll see you know, maybe like a, a clean shampoo line, like launching this year from like Garnier, you know, or, or a brand like that, that feels so out of touch and the aesthetic is very off. And it's like, all right, is this even like a thing anymore? And it's like, there was just such a long development process that they had to go through legally, product-wise, marketing-wise, like their entire place that it's hard for them to innovate and it's easier for them to acquire smaller companies that can innovate and move so quickly. And so I think it has a big piece to do with that because that process can be so long. It's hard for them to know, I think, what to invest in, like what, how much innovation do they invest in and how much innovation is really going to get pushed through. And I had um, one of my um, mentors, she mentioned something around the lines of like, 
um, other larger conglomerates trying to kind of like, you know, kind of copy some of the innovation that they had put out. And she's like, but it doesn't really matter because we're already like 10 steps ahead. Like we're already on the next thing and they're trying to copy what we just launched, you know? So it's just a slow moving beast that it's hard for them to stay on top of everything. I think. Yeah. To keep up because no, that's such a great example because like you said, like a big brand like Garnier or whatever coming up with a clean line. I'm like, okay, where were you like two years ago when this was all kind of, you know, starting. So that is interesting that like a smaller brand can be ahead of that curve and be like, well, we can push this out sooner and we can do this. That's so interesting. Um, now I know that you kind of said that you kind of started this, not really having many resources. Is that correct? So how did you obviously through experience, but like, how did you kind of network and get these, this, this group of, people that kind of helped you or your mentors and stuff like that. How yeah. Did you navigate that? Um, I think honestly, biggest places were accelerators. And so when I graduated undergrad, I did an accelerator, started PCLA. They had like a program for people in school or undergrads. Um, I did a target takeoff accelerator about like a year in, and it was really connecting with people through there. And then just like, it's like a tree. It just branches out like all Hey, I need advice on this. Like, oh, I can't help you, but so-and-so can. Let me connect you with them. And like, I've always been very diligent about keeping people updated. I have like a list, a running list of people that I'll update with progress um, on the business or ask for advice or ask for tips. And there's people that I've met like when I launched and I still talk to them. So um, really, I think accelerators and then just like connections of connections and people putting me in touch with people and keeping them updated and, and thanking them and, and, you know, keeping them in the loop um, has been, I think, what's kept it alive. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's such a great point of view of saying like the accelerators and other things, because sometimes when you're launching something, you're kind of like, okay, where do I look? And I think that's a great example of, okay, here's where to start. Um, You brought up kind of like following up. And I always have these questions like, when is it too much? Like, how do you know when and how to follow up with these people to not come off as annoying? Do you get what I'm saying? Yes. I think for me, um, so I guess following up, depending on, um, an ask, if, if I have, and, and I think there's different categories, but I think, um, if I have an ask for like a mentor, maybe I'll follow up once, um, as far as setting them updates, I yeah. usually, when I started, I would send quarterly updates. Now I kind of do twice a year. Um, and there's people that I've sent updates to that, like right back every now and then but it's like unless you tell me like stop sending these then it's like i just keep sending them okay um but as far as at like if i send an update and i'm like hey i need help with this and then maybe i'll follow up with them once and then for mentors or, or folks like that then i'll probably leave it now if i'm pitching somebody or trying to secure a partnership or something like that usually um and, and this is probably over the span of like six to eight weeks i'll do you know maybe three follow-ups um and then from there I'll move into like an update kind of cadence. And so that's usually like my kind of like repertoire of like, okay, if they didn't write back to my ass, I'm just going to keep them updated on what I have going on um, until they feel like they can contribute or, or they do want to kind of like offer some perspective or get on a call or something like that. Yeah, no, that's great advice because I feel like, I mean, me personally, I struggle with like, I, you know, I had no idea you could just update people <laughs> and say, Hey, here's my update of my brand or whatever you're doing. And I think that's great information just for people to have um and I feel like kind of going into the gatekeeping thing um I'm sure it was probably hard for you when you started to kind of find the resources that you give people why do you feel like I feel like you're the only one that really like will give these courses and like 
Excel sheets and stuff like that just to keep people organized and ready to launch a brand. Why do you think a lot of other people don't do that or like haven't done that in the past? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think on one hand, um, there are people who just don't care to build an entire kind of like side hustle out of it. To be fair, you know, there, there is effort and work that goes into it. Um, but there have been people in my life who've given me a lot of resources. They just aren't like posting about it on Instagram, but it's like they yeah. poured into me and, and they've given me support and all of that stuff. And they've put me on a lot of game. Um, but, you know, of course, I realize that not everybody has these connections. And I think some of these mentors I've gone are like amazing. And like I couldn't imagine going through some of these processes without them. But of course, a lot of folks don't have them. So I think there's a lot of people giving out game, but it's just like one-on-one. And it's like, if you got connected to them and then they're willing to invest in you, which is, is hard to find. Yeah. Um, and now the other piece, you know, uh, for, I guess people who do gatekeep, I, you know, I've never really, I've never under, understood it. I think there's a level yeah. of, I had to figure this out on my own. So you should be able to as well. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, whatever. I, I think there is a level of there is a level of scrappiness that you have to have as a founder, you know, to, to figure things out on your own. But yeah. um, there's also just so many people where it's like, yo, this makes sense now. And I've seen them go even harder because some of these pieces got removed. Um, and then I think there's a fear of competition, but it's like really if your idea or your concept stands out in the market, um, you don't really have to worry. I don't have to worry about these other skincare brands that are kind of like getting into retail because we're different right and yeah. so it's like there I'd, I'd rather see founders you know with these great ideas have a fighting chance you know and, and be able to kind of like put the pieces together yeah I know I love that and I also agree I don't I don't understand the gatekeeping thing either and yeah um so that's why I always ask I'm like why do people gatekeep and I'm like I just the ones that get it get it and the ones that don't don't like I I don't get it <laughs> and I never will but yeah. I think it's amazing that you give people these resources just because I there really are none out there like you said like you can't just google you know how to meet with an investor and how to find this person (laughs) and stuff like that I'm like I have no idea um but kind of going off of like no's from people um I ask everyone this question if somebody tells you no you're talking to the wrong person um have you ever had any no's regarding your brand that you were like no this is a yes and how did you create that yes yeah I think um a few things, you know, I think early, early on, um, I would pitch a lot of like boutiques, like local stores and things like that to carry my products and nobody ever wanted to carry it. Um, and then it, it was kind of like, okay, you know, I think easily at that point you can be like, okay, does this make sense? Or like, does this idea even, um, make sense for the marketers or a bad idea? I'm going to watch my yeah. face again, just get the rest of this off. But, um, so there was that, there was, um, I think a lot of like, you know, even with retailers early on, um, a lot of like, Hey, this doesn't really make sense for us right now. Or, or, you know, we can't launch you. You're not, um, you know, this, you don't have that. And understanding, I think the biggest thing when you do get a no, especially if you feel like this should be a yes, or this makes sense. And I know that it's going to make sense is really getting specific on why they said no. What do you need to see from me? And what do I need to work on? Um, to move forward and hopefully they're honest with you. I think sometimes people can skirt around the question. Maybe, maybe it's revenue, maybe it's brand, maybe it's differentiation or whatever, but I think you do need to like, you should leave every no with an action item. If they're responding to you, if they're not responding to you, then it's not really a no. You just have to you know keep following up with them. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing is like, if somebody has explicitly told you no, 
get a very clear understanding of why. And, and if you start to see a pattern, then it's like, okay, I need to work on this, you know? Yeah. No, I love that perspective. I haven't gotten that answer yet. And I feel like it, as much as it's like, oh, well, you said no, someone will give me a yes. But at the same time, it's a good way to self-reflect on what am I doing? Not necessarily wrong, but what am I doing that isn't getting that yes? That's not getting that yes. So I love that point of view. And I was going to say too, you mentioned the target accelerator. And I, when I was creeping on you and doing my research, I remember you saying you didn't get accepted the first time and you felt like you weren't ready. you like, you knew you weren't ready. And I feel like that's kind of like a hard truth for people to kind of accept. Like, how do you know, how did you know you weren't ready? And then now that you're in target, when did you know that you were ready? Yeah. 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 So I got, so I got accepted into the accelerator the first time I applied, but at okay. that point I wasn't ready for regional. Um, to your okay. point, I wasn't ready to get into stores. Um, and I, I did not leave the accelerator pitching to get into stores because I knew, <laughs> I knew I was not ready. Um, and part of that was asking those questions. Part of that, part of that was understanding, like listening to all the stuff that I learned around like, what how do they fulfill orders and like how much inventory and I was like okay I, I'm not there yeah and part of it was asking those very specific questions and I sat down with the buyer at the end of the program and I was like what would you need to see from me to bring me into store and she's like you know the size of your business I would love to see you work with some other you know retailers or just to prove that you can ship stuff out that's not just online um and ship some bigger orders um, she's like, I think your brand is great. I think your positioning is great, but you're just like, it would be hard for us to make sure that you could keep up with the demand that we need you to have. And so it was like, okay, cool. Like, I know what I need to do. I know I need to get the right fulfillment partner. I know I need to start. I started working with urban outfitters after that. I know I need to build the business and all these things that I could unlock so that I could go back and be like, okay, we've done this and yeah. this is where we're at. And then if they say no again, like, okay, well, what's missing. Right. And so that was yeah the exact kind of process that I took so that I knew I knew for sure what I was missing based on what I formulated but also what the person who said I wasn't ready also said you know yeah yeah no I think that's such a positive way of looking at it too like you want to make sure you're ready and confident so people can see your brand and also be confident in what they're purchasing and what they're using um now that you're kind of on the other end um and you're coaching people what like trends do you see amongst them and like is there any like common assumption that people make when they're first starting a brand with people that you coach I think that um I think one of the big things that I see with early stage founders especially in the product space obviously most of the people I talk to make some sort of product um is a lack of importance on the brand and and I understand because this is like exactly where I started where it's like this really great idea, you know, you understand the gap in the market, but you're not positioning it that way because you're just like, Hey, this bothers me. I'm going to make a product. I think one thing that I've learned through mentors, through accelerators, through all these things is like how to speak the language of investors and retailers of like, Oh, you know, we're talking about innovating this category by doing X, Y, Z and you know, all these things. So I think that perspective is something that a lot of founders lack. And it's like, I know you have a good idea. I know you have a good product, but that's not going to get you to the level you want to get to. And so it's working with these founders to really identify what their brand is. And that's why I made that course because I kept yeah. having the same conversations over and over of, okay, you have an idea. I, I feel like people would come to me on the calls 
with their brand. And it was very general, very generic. And I'm like, this is going to be hard to scale. But then as I get deeper, like, why did you start it? What's going on? What's the competition? I would get to like, okay, it sounds like you're doing this. And this is a very differentiated idea and a very good concept to build a brand off of. Now let's figure out like, don't tell me you're making clean hair care, but tell me you're addressing, you know, kind of like scalp focused hair care, which promote, you know, like there's things that Specifics. help me understand what my pain point is and why I should come to you. And so that's probably like the number one thing that I see with founders is really great concepts, really great ideas, but poor brand execution, which impacts people buying from them. Cause they're like, why would I buy another cleanser? And I think that's something a lot of folks don't get. So like, how do you, there's so many skincare brands, but it's like, yeah, we're trying to position, like we're innovating drugstore acne space. So it's like, I'm niching down into what we're doing and how we're different from the people around us. Right. And so that's probably like the number one thing that I see. I think that's great advice. And I, um, I definitely agree. I think your brand identity is the most important thing, uh, obviously uh, aside from other things, but it is one of the most important things about your brand. Yeah. Um, and I was also going to ask you, obviously we know the questions to ask, like, who are you? What is your brand? Like, if your brand was a person, like, who is it? How does Rosen and you answer that question about your brand? So yeah, people can kind of yeah, translate yeah. into their own. Yeah. So for us, our goal at Rosen is to innovate the drugstore acne space. Um, and we do so with kind of like modern, dual-focused skincare formulas. So we're focusing on hyperpigmentation and breakouts um, in a way that obviously kind of like eventually targets the multicultural guests. Um, for us at Rosen, you know, who we tend to kind of like gravitate towards is a younger Gen Z, obviously acting from guests. Specifically, we have a lot of like black female or multicultural kind of like women of color customers because we do talk about like dark spots and hyperpigmentation a lot. Um, you know, when it comes to like who we are, I think um, Rosen, Rosen is definitely younger and cooler than me. Um, I think, you know, there's some things on the trend side that I'm like trying to catch up with that. Rosen is already, you know, working on top of, um, very casual. We are a very casual connection. I think we aim to be educational in a very casual way. Um, I do want it to feel very friendly, maybe a little bit, you know, a little bit older than our core customer, but not that much older. Um, so we're not like a super professional or a super skin expert perspective. Um, we have those perspectives, but the way we deliver it, we want it to feel very conversational. Um, and I think all of these pieces help us identify the product that we make, the retailers we go into, the visual, like when we changed our packaging or when we adjusted, you know, some of our brand pieces, it's like, okay, it's all through the lens of who we are and how we're serving our customer, like what that relationship looks like. And so it's key. It's huge. It's obviously very important. And it's something I love to see people find breakthroughs for a lot. Um, and it's, it's always just fun to kind of like, you know, experiment with who we are and like push the boundaries of like how we connect with folks. Yeah. No, everything that you just said, I feel like translates right into your brand. I think it is young. It's cool. And like you said, it's casual, but I don't know, it still makes you look. And I think it definitely, um, I think your focus on hyperpigmentation and dark spots is so important because you don't see that really often in a drugstore. Like you might see it at Sephora, but I almost never see it in drugstore. And when it is, it's like kind of like a universal like umbrella product. And it's not necessarily like your breakout stick it's for the dark spots or for a breakout. And I think that that is just unique. And I think everything that you just said really translates into your brand. Um, and I also kind of wanted to go into like, what would be 
after we kind of get the brand identity, what would be your number one tip for now going into that investing into the investor room and talking to these investors? Like what is your number one tip for someone going into that room and now pitching that product? them yeah i think the number one thing going into an investor space um is a very good understanding of your category and how you're innovating that category um i think that and it's definitely something i think i've stepped into in recent years um of course you're getting started and you're like yeah this is a good idea but really understanding that you are innovating a space like you you are ideally we change the way that like multicultural guests shop for acne and drugstore you know we change that whole perspective and piecing the other routines you know from specialty skincare and, and all these pieces um that's how you should be looking at what your brand is doing and you should have such a tight pulse on where the category is going what it looks like what's trending what's not um, because you need to be an expert in that category. Your, your investor is going to know, you know, a bit about what's going on in the skincare space or whatever, but they need to know that you know exactly what's going on there. Because ultimately, you know, it, it's what everybody says, but I think now that I've gone through it and I've lived it, they're investing in the founder. There's so yeah. many good concepts or ideas, but it's like, would I give you a million dollars to trust that you know how you you know how to run the ship or you know what's going on in a way that other people clearly don't? Um, and that's really what it is. And so like you have to come into it with that level of expertise and that level of confidence, which is you know easier said than done because at the end of the day you want to make the partnership work. But I think that's the biggest piece. And I think that's what has been beneficial for me with investors, with retailers, is feeling like okay, she really understands the category and she understands what's going on here. Um, and we trust her to, to be an innovator in this space. And I think that's like number one, how you want them to feel about you. And then metrics and numbers and all that stuff comes after, but that's the biggest thing. And I think that's why, um, you know, so many like white male tech founders can go crazy with raising money because they come in with that confidence. Like, yo, I know what I'm talking about, you know? And I think that's what you have to come in with. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it's so important to be able to communicate your product, but have that vision. And like, it's it's like one thing talking about like, oh, I have, like you said, I have this idea. It's great. But are you confident in what you're doing? Are you educated on your, in your space, in your industry? And I think that's the best advice that I think anyone could have. And is that kind of similar when you're talking to, like buyers and retailers, or do you have like a different kind of take for that? I would say very similar. Yes. I think the conversations are very similar between, I think the conversations between customer, like B to C versus B to B, yeah. those are very different. So how I talk to a customer on social or whatever is very different than how I talk to an investor or retailer. I think investors and retailers are very similar. Um, I think the biggest difference there, and what I'll always kind of tell folks is on the retailer side, um, you're aware of your competition. I think you can talk to your investors about your competition and, and, you know, you should address competition with your retailer, but, um, I can't go in and talk about how earth cleanser is going to do so well because it's going to take productivity from the benzoyl peroxide cleanser. Cause it's like at the end of the day, they own that entire shelf space. So you being productive by bringing somebody else down, like kind of evens out for them. Right. And yeah. so that's a big thing is like, how are you? bringing in incremental productivity. And so that's like a little shift, I would say, when it comes to retailers that you have to think about when you're positioning. Um, but other than that, very similar. No, that's a great point because I feel like in my head, I would have thought like, oh, I'm better than CeraVe or I'm this, you know what I mean? You want to be like, I'm standing out from these legacy brands, but at the same time, you don't really, 
you don't want to go about it that way. So I think that's a really interesting take on touch upon the competition, but like say how you're going to just kind of bring everything kind of up and. Yeah. It's like, what are the guests or what are the gaps that that brand or product has? Yeah. And I fill that gap for them versus I'm going to transition people over your strategy. You know, our strategy might be like, okay, use Lexi acting like, let's get you, you know, on this wave or whatever. But when we're talking to retailers, it's more about like, you're missing out on these people because they're not shopping any of these products, but they will shop us, you know, and then thinking about it that way. Yeah, no, I love that point of view. Um, And I always like to kind of leave my guests with just something. So, and I, I just think you're so honest, you're so upfront. And like I said, you never gatekeep. So is there any kind of like tough love advice you think entrepreneurs of any kind should have before starting something? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think, um, one, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of resources out there around how hard entrepreneurship is. And I think people realize that at this point. It's very flexible, you know, don't get me wrong. It is flexible and you get your own schedule and there's a lot of upside to it. Obviously, so I keep doing it, even though it's stressful. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think I think the biggest tough look, two things. One, consistency. I think I see a lot of founders frustrated by, you know, maybe not seeing growth or not seeing, you know, numbers and things like that. You have to be willing to talk to nobody for a very long time. Um, you have to be willing to show up with like five views, you know, or whatever, and just like keep it rolling. And I think you have to do that. And if you're not willing to do that, it's going to be very hard for you to grow. Um, and then I think the other thing is being very tough on your idea. Um, this is something I talked about a lot, but how different is your concept? And if it's only incrementally different, can you at least position it in a way that feels very strong, right? There's tons of products out there that are like, mm, these are kind of the same product, right? But maybe so they position it, maybe it's their brand, maybe it's whatever. But I think people need to be tougher on themselves around how different their concept is. Um, and my favorite advice for that is just like ask like your uncle or like ask somebody super random who has like no familiarity with your yeah. category. Tell them what you're doing and see the questions they ask. Because it's going to be like, oh, really? There's no acne washes out there? It's like, well, there is, but we're doing that, you know? And so, like, it helps you fine-tune what you're doing and why it's different. And so I think those are the two toughest pieces to deliver um, to people, but very crucial for sure. No, they're so crucial. And I love love those two points. I think consistency kind of gets, like, swept under the rug because you're, like, you said entrepreneur life is nice and you can have the schedule, but if you're not showing up, even with the five views, like it's hard with the podcast still, you know, it's like, yeah. just keep going and it, it will eventually pay off. And then I love your take on just asking like your dad or your uncle or someone who's not going to get it, your guy friend, who's not going to yeah. get it and try and answer those questions and just being a little harder on your idea. I think it's a hard truth, but it's a, it's a good one to know. Yeah. It's a hard one. It's a, yeah. I got challenged early on. I was some entrepreneurship courses at UCLA, just like older male teachers. Yeah. And they're like, I like all the tech ideas, like, like we love it. And then they're like, I don't get it. Like, why would you do this? And I'm like, well, yeah. somebody gets it. And I'm clearly not articulating it to you. So let me figure it out. But yeah. it was huge. It was incredibly helpful for me to like have those conversations early on. Um, and I think, yeah, I think everybody should kind of go through that with any kind of concept they build out. Yeah. I love that. Well, Thank you for that amazing advice. I'm like taking notes myself. That was amazing. <laughs> um, and whoever's watching, check out Rose and Skincare. And you have a website where your courses are, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So my personal Instagram is Jamika Rose with an underscore. Um, and uh, that's also my site, JamikaRose.com. Okay. Um, and you can kind of find all of my information there. 
Um, and of course, I always tell people to DM me or hit me up if they have questions. Um, I'm very responsive. I, I love helping people. And usually it's, it's pretty quick questions or I can direct them to the right place. And um, I'm chatting with folks that I don't know all day. So <laughs> please, if people have questions or whatever, feel free to hit me up. Awesome. Well, thank you for being that outlet and that source, because I think that is just so helpful. So thank you so much and have a great rest of your day. And now I'm going to go like glow. <laughs> with my yes, rosin. no, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Anytime. Well, bye. I'll see you. Bye.